Okay, we are live. So for those listening at home or on the go, welcome to the Dungeon Musings podcast. My name is Kevin Madison, and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, This is the inaugural recording for the new uh, Dungeon Musings podcast on Anchor. Uh, So this is a format that I am unfamiliar with, and uh, so you're going to have to forgive any uh, rookie stumblings that I'm going to be making here, Uh, but this is going to be a format for me to give a little bit looser um, thoughts, I guess, on uh, content than what I do on the Dungeon Musings uh, YouTube channel. This will be primarily to start with a talk about the some of the issues and uh, things I've learned from running my uh, Barrow Maze campaign, uh, switching it from uh, Pathfinder to um, or Pathfinder Second Edition uh, to uh, a modified version of uh, the Scarlet Heroes game. But I guess maybe from the outset, let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to be doing on this channel. So uh, this is going to be something where we're talking about role-playing games, uh, the people who run them. I'll be talking about just loose. Um, concepts, I guess, or loose sort of uh, reviews and thoughts on different uh, games that I've been using or materials or products I've been using. Uh, this isn't going to be, you know, the formal kind of, uh, well, not that my content on the YouTube channel is uh, particularly polished by any means, but something a little more loose, uh, just some th- idle thoughts as I'm uh, heading home from the office on gaming in general, uh, and uh, in particular, the types of games that I've been uh, running. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with uh, me altogether, uh, I am the host of the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, which you can find by doing a search for Dungeon Musings. Uh, on that channel, I do a bunch of actual plays of uh, role-playing games, a variety of things, including uh, Dungeons & Dragons, um, Star Wars, uh, the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games, uh, and a bunch of other uh, indie games as well, too. So if you're interested in uh, checking out any of that content, uh, you can find it there. I also had a pretty good run running the uh, Mongoose Publishing version of Traveler 2nd Edition, uh, too. But what we're doing on here is talking a bit about um, games in general, or the the role-playing games that uh, I'm running at the time, and uh, to seek out some uh, advice and input from other folks in the community. So that's my uh, kind of clumsy way of doing an introduction. Uh, I will try and do a better job of it next time. But um, now I want to launch into talking about the Barrow Maze campaign that I've been running. So let's transition to that. Okay, so now what I want to do is talk a bit about the state of my Barrow Maze game. And this is going to be a bit of a stream of consciousness thing here, so you'll have to forgive if there's some um, digressions. So what um, uh, what I've been running for the last about six months uh, has been uh, Greg Gillespie's uh, very cool Barrel Maze Complete uh, setting. It's a kind of a, it's a mega dungeon that also has a, a fair, fair amount of uh, fairly loose uh, setting material that you can use to, uh, to structure your, you know, your mega dungeon uh, explorations. There's a, a a handful of material that uh, gives some descriptions of the local region, including a town called Helix, a uh, another town called Bogtown, and then a larger community called Irongard Mott. Uh, the uh, Helix, in particular, has a bunch of different NPCs that are offered. Uh, it is a uh, 
Originally written for the Labyrinth Lord uh, OSR game, uh, but really you can use it with any kind of OSR game. Uh, and I was using it uh, from the outset as the setting for running uh, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition playtest. Uh, when, let's see, around end of the summer is when, the, I guess August is when the uh, Pathfinder 2nd uh, Edition playtest came out. Uh, I got very, very interested in it at, uh, at first. And uh, I made the pitch to our players to for that to be our, our next uh, players on my regular uh, Friday night games for that to be our next kind of ongoing campaign, and uh, everyone bit pretty hard. Uh, so we we all made uh, some people made characters, some people played pregens, and then we uh, were off to the races using Barrow Maze as the setting for that campaign. And um, the initial reactions to both the setting and the uh, rules was really, really positive. Um, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition rules are a really great set of tactically, uh, so tactically crunchy kind of role-playing rules, very much in the vein of 4th uh, Edition D&D, to be honest, in the sense of that it, it gave really interesting tactical decisions for players to make in combat, regardless of how combat intensive your character was. Uh, every character in that has three different actions they can take in a given turn and all your different special abilities, be it uh, spell casting or, you know, hefting up a shield to take a, a blow or, you know, interacting with, um, reacting and, and, you know, blasting a, an enemy with a, um, you know, uh, an opportunity attack if you're a fighter. Uh, all that stuff gave really, you know, lots of interesting things on a round-per-round round round basis for uh, characters to, to decide. Uh, and in addition, the setting of the Barrow Maze itself, which is this sprawling, dangerous complex that lies beneath the ancient burial mounds of this forgotten people that lies deep in this forbidding swamp that's called the Barrow Moor, um, that's a pretty fucking cool setting. And it was a, it was a really... It... it um, the setting itself uh, provided some great mysteries that the players were exploring and, and going out and learning more about the setting and uh, interacting with more of the NPCs. Uh, so the actual Barrow Maze setting itself was uh, was proving to be really interesting to the to the players. Um, one additional set of house rules that I introduced to the to the game that was unrelated to either the Pathfinder Second Edition playtest or to uh, the original uh, Barrow Maze Complete. Um, was a set of uh, reputation rules. Uh, what I did is I set up some rules for different factions in the uh, in the duchy, and I uh, Duchy of Eric is the setting for the Baromaze Complete game, and I set up these uh, factions as different things the players could curry favor with, and then as they gained more reputation with them, they would gain specific bonuses, which could include magic items or specific followers. Uh, that were thematic to whatever the um, the different uh, uh, the different um, factions you know um, or would be suitable for the different factions. So things like you know uh, if it was a druidic uh, druidic type faction like the cult of the green man, they might have things like nymphs or you know unicorns or things like that. Whereas if it was the Church of Saint Yig, you might get a paladin you know who's a follower when your reputation gets pretty high up. So. Um, the other things we wanted to play up in that campaign is I really did want to embrace as much of the kind of old school style of play as I could. And by that I meant using random encounters, so every time they ventured out into the 
barrow moor to go in search of an entrance to the barrow maze, I want it to be dangerous and I want it to be unexpected. And for part of the, that also would mean that the random encounters would not necessarily be balanced. Uh, they couldn't always guarantee that it would be a fair fight. Uh, I had um, emphasized to the players that the barrow maze was going to be uh, adopting the, the OSR kind of maxim that combat is war, not sport. So it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be fair. It would always be fun, but it wouldn't be fair necessarily. So they'd have to run away from some things. Um, it also, uh, I wanted to emphasize the scarcity of the um, uh, of the materials, you know? So like they couldn't just buy magic items. They couldn't just easily craft them. They'd have to go out in the, in the you know, dungeon and find them. And, uh, I, they couldn't just, uh, you know, easily just go and pick up stuff from this small town. Uh, they had to commission them to get crafted, which would force them, from my mind, it was to force them to interact with the uh, setting material in, in a more meaningful way. And um, that was a challenge for some of my players more so than others, but I'll talk about that a little later. Um, the other thing I wanted to emphasize was the encumbrance, like all the little things that people emphasize or at least were present in the original rules that I felt made for a more immersive setting like you know keeping track of whether you had a 10-foot pole with you or whether you had a ladder or whether you had you know the kinds of things that were necessary uh, to uh, that would bog you down and make you move slower but you might need you know as you're exploring some of these places you know uh, the in the course of our the first few, uh, couple of sessions the players uh, encountered some quicksand that very nearly killed half the party uh, because they no one thought to bring a rope with them apart from one par- person. So, um, so anyway, the uh, that was sort of the stated objective was to try and run it, you know, this new school game in an old school manner, and uh, it was initially, uh, you know, not it ran okay. Uh, we were all enjoying ourselves. But um, what we were doing was splitting up the game between a Friday night session, which would run for four hours every two weeks, and a Wednesday night session, which would run for two hours every week. And there, uh, there was a rotating cast, so we, di- we didn't necessarily know who was available and who was going to play. So I adopted something from the West Marches style of play, which is to, uh, to say that at the end of each session, everyone's got to be back in town. Um, now this presented a big problem for for us on the Wednesday sessions because as soon as people uh, ran into a combat encounter when they were out, that would very often chew up at least half an hour, uh, sometimes 45 minutes of our time, which meant that if the players spent time at the beginning of the session interacting with NPCs in town, talking amongst each other and figuring out what their goal was, you know, uh, or you know, pursuing the reputation goals, then what it meant was that the session would end before they would make any meaningful progress in the Barrowmoor. The first couple of sessions we ran with it uh, in, in this campaign actually were fairly scripted because I sort of knew I wanted to get them uh, a feel for what they were going to be doing, which was, you know, going around digging up these mounds and finding what kind of, you know, whether they would be able to loot them for treasure uh, for which I was granting increased experience points as well, too, trying to um, basically steal an idea from Adventure Conqueror King, which was to basically award four times the XP for treasure than what I did for killing things, for, for combat encounters. 
and um, that was challenging uh, because it was difficult to figure out how to judge what that XP would be. You know, in uh, older school games or older versions of D&D, it was a lot easier to to just, you know, uh, whatever your XP was, or whatever your GP you brought back was, that, that's how much XP you'd get. Same thing with Adventure Conqueror King. Uh, uh, Pathfinder, that was a lot harder because the, the gold economy was not based around the idea of XP and it wasn't an easily translatable thing to, uh, to experience points. So that was a challenge, uh, first off. And, um, and also what I've realized too is that it was, it was very hard. It proved to be very hard to figure out what the, um, appropriate economy should be for, for the players, like where they should be in terms of how much XP, how much gold they should have and, and so forth. So, uh, early on there was some challenges on my end. Um, to be honest, we were having so much fun with uh, Pathfinder and with the Barame setting, uh, and everyone was really making an effort to make it to the games. Like we were having five or six players show up for our Wednesday sessions when previously we'd had two players who regularly played on Wednesday, and uh, and so th- the interest of the players drove the first couple of months of the and, and myself to be honest uh, drove the first couple of months of that f- uh, campaign. So I wasn't really noticing where there was the game rubbing up, like the rules for the game rubbing up against what we were trying to achieve with the, the actual campaign. And that um, that really did become apparent in our, uh, roughly about our late second month, early third month into the campaign. And that's when we started realizing that our Wednesdays were kind of wasted because routinely what was ending up happening is that the players would spend a lot of time getting shit together. They, uh, some players would, would want to interact with the NPCs in town more than others. And those who didn't want to interact with the NPCs in town, they would be feeling that like, fuck, let's just get out of town. Come on, come on, let's go, let's go. Hire our, our henchmen, uh, which was again another OSR or old school thing we wanted to, to incorporate to this campaign. Hire our henchmen and get the hell out of town. And uh, all those old school elements, like the hiring of henchmen, the random encounters, the, you know, tracking encumbrance, everyone was really on board for that. Like, everyone seemed to really embrace that, particularly the henchmen. Like, they were really getting attached to having these, these you know, people uh, along with them. Um, but, um, yes, yeah, so what ended up happening is for about a, a two or three week st- uh, stretch there, it seemed like we were getting pretty much nothing done in our Wednesday sessions. And that was not good. I mean, like, you know, it, it felt like they were not, uh, they were making some XP um, headway, but they were really getting bogged down in, you know, random encounters or, you know, getting out. And uh, uh, every time there was a random encounter, even when they were in the, um, in the actual Barrowmore itself, the uh, setup for the Barrowmore, I should say, is that... Uh, You'd get out there, and then at, at for some of these, you would just show up, and you'd be able to dig out the uh, you know the mound, and or you'd find a door and open the mound and be able to explore it, you know, with no difficulty. But for a lot of other ones, there was hours of digging that would be required, and during that time, that you'd be making random encounters every twenty minutes. So you know, the odds were that within the span of, uh, a, you know, the exercise of, or the work of getting into one mound, you probably have, you know, two or three random encounters. 
The trouble is when you, each of those random encounters chews up 45 minutes of time or more for a more complicated encounter, um, that just means that your entire session is chewed up with that and the players don't get to get to the stated goal of the campaign, which is to actually unearth those mounds and find an entrance to this dungeon and explore it. So that was the problem. We had uh, a game system that was kind of not permitting us to play the the game or the campaign that we were kind of intending on playing, which was to explore the barrel maze. You know, the big, the, the pitch that I made when we initially launched that campaign was that you guys can play whatever you want. Uh, we can find a room for whatever thematically you want to play. Uh, you know, you can build according to the Pathfinder 2nd Edition rules. But you need to have a reason, your, your goal, your character has to have a purpose to explore the barrel maze. I don't care what the reason is, you know, it, it just, that's what they need to have. Because that's what this campaign was going to be about. So the trouble is, is that the game we were playing was, effectively, or the system we were using, was working against the goal of the campaign. The campaign was supposed to be about exploration and... Um, you know, the, and the dangers of the, of the barrow mower and the barrow maze and uncovering the kind of secret history behind the barrow maze. Like, the neat thing about the barrow mower or bar, uh, barrow maze complete setting is that there is this really cool history to the barrow maze. And there are active factions that will work against your character or the DM can use to work against your character. And the way you do that is by actually getting in there and exploring it and seeing the kind of living ecology of this dungeon, of this mega dungeon. So um, the trouble is, is with the system, it was working against that. So that got me thinking about this concept called uh, ludonarrative dissonance that comes from video games. And, and in a nutshell, and I may not be doing this justice here, but the nutshell version is that it's when your mechanics, your game mechanics incentivize a specific type of gameplay that is contrary to the themes of your game. So the, the example comes from a review that someone made, uh, and forgive me for not knowing his name offhand, but someone of um, the first Bioshock. And the more I thought about it, uh, the more that kind of, that idea kind of set root in my, in my mind. And I kept thinking, God, like the mechanics of this system of Pathfinder 2nd Edition are telling us that every single fight is important because every single fight will have an incredible amount of detail in it. Every round you're going to be making a bunch of different decisions and uh, it tells you that the mechanics of it are very important because you can make a lot of interesting mechanical decisions both in designing your characters and in the play at the table. The trouble is is when every single combat is important it means that uh, the necessity is is that that needs to chew up a bunch of time and that's not allowing any other part of the game to really intrude on that. You end up with a situation where people are, or rather the uh, gameplay, uh, like if you, if the gameplay ends up being all about combat, or the majority of it does. If you think of the any given session as a pie, the vast majority of that pie is being chewed up by the glutton that is combat. And... That's not necessarily what that particular campaign was about. I mean, we want combat to be fun and exciting and, you know, because it's going to happen a lot in a setting like the uh, Barrymore. But it doesn't need to be everything. There needs to be, you know, time for the other two pillars, the role-playing and, and exploration to shine, in particular the exploration stuff. 
when the characters were going out and trying to find an entrance to the barrow maze, that needs to have time to, uh, to shine at the table. There needs to be equal spotlight time for that part. Otherwise, the game is just about a series of tactical encounters. And I'm not saying that, that a game that, has, that is just a series of tactical encounters is necessarily a bad thing, or that the system itself was bad. Uh, and that's partly what I was struggling with, that it is a really fun system. I think the Pathfinder 2nd Edition system is really great. It's just, I came to realize that it was not the right system for this particular campaign because we were experiencing ludonarrative dissonance where the themes of the campaign were exploration, danger, and, uh, and, and also, I mean, the atmosphere, I suppose, was that old school thing where you, could, you guys aren't necessarily heroes. You're kind of, because the, the rules do support you being a little more exceptional than normal, and my players have said that they do like that, rather than the traditional old school way where, you know, four hit point thieves or four hit point uh, uh, magic users. But the Pathfinder system, because it made every single combat an exceptional and exciting and dynamic thing, it ate too much of the pie, and we weren't able to enjoy the rest of, which is arguably the more important part of the campaign. One of the things that I've heard, or I remember that uh, Stuart Marshall wrote in his introduction to the second edition of uh, OSR, or the Osric uh, game, is that story is a consequence of playing old school games. It's not a intrinsic part of the, of the gameplay. And I think that's kind of, you can sort of extrapolate that to combat as well, too, for that type of game, for that type of mega dungeon exploration sandboxy thing, is that combat is a byproduct of adventure it's not the core of adventure i guess maybe that's not i wouldn't necessarily make any bumper stickers without saying but you understand i think what i'm what i'm trying to get at so <coughs> excuse me forgive me got a little thing tickle in my throat um so that led us to, to, to me thinking well what can we do about this and i did what i normally do in these circumstances which is to start running a bunch of other things as excuses rather than dealing with the actual problem of the campaign and then once I kind of got some of that out of my system by dabbling with, you know, uh, Starfinder and um, Godbound and a couple other things, I took a look back at something called Scarlet Heroes, published by Cine Nomine uh, Publishing and written by the very uh, talented Kevin Crawford. And that's what we tried next. So that brings us to... Scarlet Heroes, and what Scarlet? If you're not familiar with Scarlet Heroes, it was uh, it's a game that is it's built as a standalone game, and effectively what it is is something that allows you to play BX D and D or you know uh, Labyrinth Lord or any kind of old school thing based roughly on that. Uh, well, I should say it's not everything. It's based on the chassis of uh, Labyrinth Lord, and then it's modified so that you can basically play all those existing modules and use that existing content but play it in a more heroic mode you know it's uh, your characters there's a really neat um twist of math that's used to scale damage and hit points up so you can really you know your characters can feel like real badasses taking on you know whole swaths of uh of enemies uh, or they can you know take on really big powerful things um like because uh, what basically what, what it does is it rather than tracking hit points for uh, adversaries, for NPCs, rather for uh, monsters or things like that, you just track their hit dice, and, and damage is scored in hit dice rather than in hit points. Your characters track hit points and other 
you know, significant NPCs uh, track hit points as well. But um, what it does is it just basically makes your characters a lot tougher and able to uh, take on a lot more uh, powerful things. Uh, the rule of thumb is that any given character in Scarlet Heroes is equal to four normal BXD&D or Labyrinth Lord characters. And uh, that idea, though, those core ideas were then expanded by... So then there was a, sorry, a game written by Kevin Crawford. Those ideas were expanded further in a game called Godbound. And then as well in Stars Without Number with the heroic mode kind of rules. Now, I don't own the original version of Stars Without Number, so I actually have no idea whether that's there as well, but uh, I do have the revised Stars Without Number role-playing game, and that one does have these heroic rules in it. And each of them introduced different ideas into it as well, too. Like, the Godbound's a little different from... Oh, actually, substantially different from uh, Scarlet Heroes in terms of, you know, how you construct your character um, and how dice mechanics work, and as is Revised Stars Without Number. But I knew that I could pretty easily steal stuff from both of those other games and then add it into Scarlet Heroes. Scarlet Heroes, as written, is a very, very, very uh, simple game. It um, You really, a starting character, for instance, really makes a decision of their, um, their class, and then they pick their traits, and the traits are kind of what fills in for skills or backgrounds or things like that. And... Uh, that level of simplicity uh, has was really a, a problem for most of my characters, <clears throat> my players, I should say. The uh, when I brought the game to them and said, "Okay, what we're going to do is make Scarlet Heroes versions of these guys, and then we'll play them," uh, I had to give them the warning that, like, "Look, this will play better than what it seems. You know, at the table, it will. I imagine it will feel a lot freer and a lot faster than what it seems." I, I had the benefit of having run one session of Godbound for a friend, and that was just a shit ton of fun. So uh, I was confident that this would be a good fit for it if the guys gave it a chance. And they were pretty resistant. Even my most uh, willing players were fairly resistant to it at first, saying like, gosh, there really doesn't seem like much. I'm seeing like I'm, you know, how do I tell these characters apart from each other? And um, then we gave it a try, and we've, at the time of recording, run about three sessions of it so far, and everybody after the first session said, no, this is what we should be using. And the reason being is because because the game emphasizes narrative play so much more than tactical play, um, and because this the mechanics are fairly simplistic, so you really are, you know, it's, it's like old school versions of D&D where you're really just, you know, Mechanically, your decisions are what you're going to be doing to hit, you're rolling to hit, you're adding your bonuses, and then you're rolling damage. Um, the narrative stuff is encouraged by way of the traits, because instead of having, uh, to be honest, it reminds me a lot of 13th Age, uh, and it, the 13th Age may have stolen ideas from, from Scarlet Heroes, so I don't know which came first here, but uh, 13th Age, you pick something, you pick kind of like, again, like traits. Uh, I can't remember what they're called in it, but basically, it's something about your character, and then you assign points to it, and then those be, those points become the modifiers you apply to your dice rolls. So, for instance, you could say that your character was, as one of the characters in my campaign, he's a circus acrobat. So, when there comes up a circumstance when you're going to be making a check to, uh, you know, to, to determine something, success or failure, uh, let's say it's going to be a dexterity check to try and jump across a cavern, or a, a cavern, a chasm, um, then, you know, your circus acrobat trait probably would apply because you're an acrobat. So you would apply that. If you're trying to, 
you know, learn something or see whether you know something about a distant land, well, maybe that would apply to an intelligence check as well because it would apply there. So the fun thing about that was that it seemed to give categories rather than a list. So you try to find ways to fit the actions you were taking within those categories and it gave some thematic flavor to the play at the table without you know, just going to a list and then trying to pick from that list what you're going to do. Um, I'm not going to go into what the, you know, other rules specific things are about it because there's, to be honest, they're, they're a little bit, uh, they sound more complicated than what they actually are at play. But um, suffice it to say that the gameplay felt much more heroic, like the guys were able to take on much more significant foes, which me meant that uh, we were able to make more progress more quickly. And... We fortunately, in the second session of it, no, the first, I mean, it was the first or second session, we did have one really dangerous encounter where a character almost died. And uh, it was designed to be a difficult encounter in, uh, in Barrow Maze. They actually made their way into the Barrow Maze in that session, which was pretty cool. And while in the Barrow Maze, they actually uh, encountered uh, a really, really, you know, really deadly uh, circumstance. And I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who might want to play barrel maze, uh, but um, suffice to say, it's it's kind of designed to set the tone for the rest of the barrel maze, that this is not a place to fuck about, uh, or you'll die, you know, and uh, it did, even though the characters were playing in hero mode, even though the, uh, you know, the we had all these sort of mechanical benefits for it, it felt really dangerous, so it still fit that, that goal of barrel maze being this dangerous place where if you step yeah, poor, if you don't watch where you're stepping and you're not careful, you could very quickly find yourself overwhelmed. But still allowed the players to uh, play characters who felt pretty heroic and um, capable. Uh, and also to get through the common encounters in a very, very quick and um, an easy way. So it was... Yeah, I mean, it, it really did do a good job of um, of solving the problem of allowing us to have fun and exciting combats, but still maintain the themes of like danger and uh, and also more most importantly, I guess, to have combat chew up less of the time at the table and allow us to go and engage more parts of that campaign. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what, one of the things I'm, I'm in the process of doing right now is I'm adding in a bunch of optional rules uh, for, you know, I'm introducing an alchemist class to uh, Scarlet Heroes, I'm, I'm adopting or adopting, <laughs> adapting a bunch of material from uh, Revised Stars Without Number uh, to introduce the concept of foci. So we have kind of like a feat thing. So my players who are more mechanically inclined will have some character generation and uh, components or some parts of the system that will allow them to theory craft their characters a little more than just the narrative stuff. But still, I'm maintaining that at a fairly low level. So there's not going to be an overwhelming amount of crunch in it. It will uh, it will just give the players new neat abilities to do rather than you know just give specific bonuses to things um, or allow them to tweak their characters in a certain direction. Like, do you want your druid to be more focused on nature magics or more on shape changing or something like that? You know, then the the foci will give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, kind of like feats in fifth edition, to be honest. Close, that's a that's a pretty good model of kind of what I'm I'm going for with them. Um, but, um, but yes, I, th I guess the thing I'll close on is that, 
you know, it will be interesting to see what problems we end up with this because it's still not the system that was designed to run Barrow Maze. Um, you know, it, uh, Barrow Maze was designed to be run with uh, Labyrinth Floor. So it'll be interesting to see whether we will run into the same kind of ludonarrative dissonance in particular, whether there's a conflict between this being lethal and the the where the uh, game rules of Sh uh, Scarlet Heroes are telling the heroes that they're super, you know, they're exceptional. But I, I don't see, I don't foresee that being a problem. Um, and the reason being is because I'm going to be stealing the idea of a nemesis from Revised Stars Without Number. They've got this set of rules which basically lets you make supercharged bosses, you know, for it. And... Uh, that was a mechanic that was in 4th edition D&D that I really did like because it made for really interesting combat encounters. And 5th edition has, has adapted that to a degree with the idea of um, um, whatever it is, legendary actions with their monsters. Rather than any legendary actions, which I actually might steal as well for my nemeses, um, I just love the idea of that it's an easy mechanical way of me making certain fights like, say, with a Draco Lich or with, you know, the... Uh, ruler of, or the, um, risen, you know, wraith of a, a forgotten king. I can make that stuff really important and really an exciting, uh, encounter without overwhelming the uh, game with complexity. Uh, it also, just as, as a final, maybe aside too, in terms of, uh, campaign prep, it is so much shorter and so much easier to run now, uh, than it has been since, uh, we were adapting stuff over. So, on a completely unrelated note, you know, there is another source of stress for that particular campaign that, that is now gone. But but that's where things stand. Now, we're, we're trying out a new... We tried the campaign with one set of rules. We've made a switch over to a different set of rules. And, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, the maybe the thing I'll close on is that... Uh, well, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go into a new chapter. I'll close some thoughts on... The, the strengths of using old school games and OSR style games uh, for this type of play. So the last thing I'd like to talk about in this uh, episode, I guess, is the strength that comes from, or the strength that, that is inherent in some of these OSR games. And in particular for this, for this one as well, um, because Scarlet Heroes is playing in a hero mode, and because the game was designed specifically to be easily uh, portable or easily compatible with every other kind of OSR game, it basically means that you can steal anything from any AD&D product, any Adventure Conquer King product, any Labyrinth Lord product, any Lamentations of the Flame Princess product, any, you know, whatever, whatever you want. Um, you can grab them and toss them in and you don't have to do a lot of work for it. And it means that you can really indulge your creativity without having to labor too much over the the math and the specifics. The math in, in Scarlet Heroes is actually also really, really cool because, and, and by cool I mean easy, uh, because you're calculating things like uh, save DCs uh, and to hit bonuses and things like that around the hit dice of the creature. And then you can also add in a slight modifier for traits you know, if you've got a creature that's particularly large, like say, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, have an ogre grab some dwarf character. Well, the the DC to get free of that might be a little bit higher. It'll be the hit dice of whatever the ogre is. And I'll add in a little bit extra to represent the, you know, the ogre's size and the ogre's uh, strength. And that's just awesome. So it means that you can grab any product that 
you think something you find something cool in and toss it into the game without with either no or very little effort and an example of that this week I, I tossed in on a whim I threw in the um, uh, the setting from the top ballista product the uh, second creature crucible product that came out for basic D&D for um, the Beckme version of D&D written by Carl Sargent. Uh, I, I love that product. I, I've had it since I was a kid, and I just I adore the idea of this flying city full of sky gnomes and sphinxes and flying, you know, um, elf types and these weird creatures called Nagpa that are like the Skeksis from uh, Dark Crystal. So uh, on a whim, I tossed it into the session, and I had to do no... I could focus on exclusively on learning the setting and reading about the how Serene works and, you know how you get to it and back from it to remind myself of that and not have to worry about the math. I could just open up the book and use whatever's in there. So that was amazing. And uh, I look forward to, to pillaging from many, many other products. Um, the other thing is, is also because the, the game at its core is pretty simplistic, it is so easy to steal stuff from other settings. Like I've been going through the Pathfinder 2nd Edition playtest and stealing ideas for foci or for how to construct you know, certain classes for this. Uh, and it's very, very easy to do because you don't require a lot of, um, you're not, I guess, first off, you're not really concerned with balance. And because it's very, the, the rules themselves are fairly simplistic. It's easy to eyeball what a difficulty of something should be, what, how much damage it should do and, and so forth. So it's really easy to steal from anything else. Like I, I, um, I've got now my entire library of fantasy material, Pathfinder, 3rd edition D&D, 4th edition D&D, 5th edition D&D, as well as all my old school stuff that I can steal from and toss into this game. Uh, and I've told the players that that uh, as much as well, in particular with their spellcasters, that if they've got spells that they can't find in the OSR game, we will take a look at them and we'll figure out what we should, uh, you know, what the Scarlet Heroes equivalent of that'll be. And I think that's really empowering because it's, um, not only does it give players more options to choose from it also encourages them to engage their creativity on a mechanics level rather than just trying to find a, a cool way to fit together an existing combo with existing rules which one of my players has specifically said is something he loves about uh, the games it's getting them to indulge their uh, game designer uh, you know um, their inner game designer I guess and to figure out how to adapt something from one game into another one so they, they get to, you know, to, to their character's specific benefit. So I think there's there's an incentive there. So, um, yeah, again, as I said, I mean, whether this ends up being a success, I, I, will, uh, I will have to see. But thus far, it's been pretty awesome. I, I have really enjoyed this. I've enjoyed every session I've run. Uh, and I really, and I'm really pleased that the characters have made a ton of progress. In particular, for our two-hour sessions, our two-hour sessions feel a lot more productive and a lot more satisfying with this system than they did with the others. The players are able; we're still able to do those random encounters. We're still able to, you know, um, to have all those other elements engage with people in town. But in the hour and a half or hour and fifteen minutes that uh, the guys do have to go and actually explore, we can get some good. Um, exploration under our belt which is is really really great so anyway so that's where things stand with my barrel mace campaign that'll be probably it for me today because i do have some work i need to get done but uh thanks for joining me for the uh, inaugural episode of uh the dungeon musings uh anchor podcast 
I hope you enjoyed this. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please don't hesitate to shoot me a message on Anchor. That is one neat thing about this format, that we do get to uh, send voice messages to each other. So thanks for listening, and I'll hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye.